the last question? Why the fruit of the Spirit? Because uh, that very last thing, that last fruit listed, self-control, is going to be our focus for the rest of our time here this morning. Self-control is not only a fruit of the Spirit, but a mark of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. But when we look at it in this list of fruits of the Spirit, it teaches us a very important lesson at the outset. We begin with the reminder that self-control is not merely self-generated. Right? What are the fruits of the Spirit? This is the evidence of God's Spirit at work in our lives. This is God doing something, and then it pours out through us, and it looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if we start and say self-control is something that we do and we create and we um, make happen, then we understand it improperly. In wisdom, we've understood through the book of Proverbs that wisdom is also something that flows from God. This is not something that we just Again, attain on our own, but he is the source. So God is the source of wisdom. God is the source of self-control. And this is our home base that we need to start from as we explore the topic further. And yet as we acknowledge that God is the source, we can all readily admit that we do have a large role to play in self-control. God has given us the strength and the ability, but how do we use it? What choices do we make? What do we do, often in self-control, what do we not do? These are the things that we need to focus on. Before we continue further, I just want to invite you to pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, it has been a true joy to gather with your people to be able to proclaim your worship. And God, we acknowledge that for so many of us, we're carrying heavy burdens here this morning. That we have experienced loss and people that we love have experienced loss and And God, I thank you so much that we've been given this reminder on the the saving, powerful name of Jesus, that we can endure these things because of Jesus, that we can even find joy in these times because of Jesus. And I pray that he would be our focus even as we talk about this idea of self-control. So may you be with us as we explore your word. May you guide us into your truth. Amen. There is a connection between self-control and wisdom in Proverbs. There's a a connection we see with this idea of control and wisdom right in Proverbs 13, verse 16, where it says, Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. So wisdom, or knowledge as it's called in this verse, impacts the way that we live. It has to show up. It has to be evident. It needs to make a difference as we walk through what this life will throw at us. And so every wise or prudent person will act with wisdom and will live with knowledge. It should be obvious. But also, according to this proverb, folly, foolishness, to live unwise is equally as obvious. In fact, to flaunt something is not just to make it evident, but it's overt. It's purposeful. It is someone who has said, I don't care for anything about wisdom as God defines it. I'm living in this way, and I'm proud of it, and I want everybody else to know. Look at me and the way that I am living. And the question that this proverb forces us to ask is, what do my actions display? What am I flaunting? Is it wisdom? Am I prudent? Am I acting in knowledge or is it foolishness and folly? Now, one of the most significant ways that we display wisdom or folly is in our self-control or our lack of it. That is a main piece of evidence, just as we were reminded as being a fruit of the Spirit. 
And this will separate us from the world because our world is becoming increasingly indulgent. Or perhaps we could say that our world has always been indulgent. It's just being more open with its indulgence. Where we are being taught that if it feels good and it makes you happy, then you can pursue it just as long as it doesn't infringe on somebody else's pursuit of feeling good and being happy. What's really right? What's wrong? What's helpful and beneficial or what might be detrimental? It's all boiling down to, the world says, our pursuit of pleasure and happiness. And the only boundary seems to be that we don't impact other people's pursuit of pleasure and happiness. We live in an indulgent world. But Scripture has a different story to tell. What the Bible teaches is that fulfillment does not come from indulgence, but instead through God-given self-control. And in particular, we're going to focus on control of our appetites, control of our emotions, and control of our influences. So what do I mean when I say control of our appetites? And I don't want you to get me wrong. We all want to feel good. Pleasure and happiness and joy are are God-given gifts. They are things that that we are meant to enjoy. And so self-control, biblically speaking, is not self-denial. It's not that pleasure and happiness are things that are to be avoided at all costs. We know for certain that God has even designed us to pursue pleasure and reward. One of the main ways we see this design is, is, is in our dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter made in the brain. This is what it says on Healthline.com. Basically, it acts as a chemical messenger between neurons. Dopamine is released when your brain is expecting a reward. When you come to associate a certain activity with a pleasure, mere anticipation may be enough to raise dopamine levels. It could be a certain food or sex or shopping or just about anything else that you enjoy. For example, suppose your go-to comfort food is homemade double chocolate chip cookies. Not a bad example. Your brain may increase dopamine when you even smell them baking or see them come out of the oven. When you eat them, the flood of dopamine acts to reinforce this craving and focus on satisfying it in the future. It's a cycle of motivation, reward, and reinforcement. So God has created us to not only experience this pleasure, but be rewarded for good behavior and for pleasurable behavior. And that reinforces that so we can go back and experience that again. And so we, we can't demonize pleasure and happiness and joy because it's part of how God has just literally created us and put us together. And so it is, it is a good and honorable thing to enjoy eating good food uh, and, and in the context of marriage, sexual satisfaction, uh, to enjoy shopping and to, to play uh, video games or other hobbies, to, to sit on a warm beach. Oh my goodness, to sit, give me a minute, mm. on a warm beach. It's a good thing. Wise self-control does not mean self-denial. But a problem arises when we let these enjoyable experiences run wild, without boundaries, without control. Enjoying food becomes overeating. Sexual satisfaction turns to sexual temptation. Shopping leads to financial and relationship stress. Playing video games will isolate you from others. And sitting on a warm beach, well, that's just always a good idea. When our appetites and our pursuit of even these God-honoring pleasures goes without boundary or control, 
they consume us. They rule us. They take control from us. And we've seen this happen. I I was just recalling a time in which uh, after I graduated from Providence, I spent a a year uh, selling sports equipment at a um, source for sports. And one of my coworkers there, uh, his name was Brian. He was just thrilled to have a job because the last few years before working at that job with me, he was addicted to video games. And he was playing so much World of Warcraft that he would forget to eat and sleep. And he would have to set reminders and alerts on his phone to, to get him to eat enough food so that he would not get sick. And then he would play all throughout the night and then just roll into bed, which is right beside his computer. He would sleep for three to four hours, roll straight back into the chair, and then play until it was repeat over again. He was consumed by this game. No, I love video games. But that story made my skin crawl. And it's an extreme example, but the principle is true. When we lose control of our appetites and the things that we love, then they can and will have control of us. Even God-given, designed for pleasure, can be abused to the point of addiction. And dopamine plays a part of this. Uh, So when we, dopamine rewards good behavior. But what happens when it's rewarding bad behavior? And what happens when we go back to this behavior again and again and again? Now we need more of that habit or substance in order to feel that dopamine. And so we become more compulsive and we need it and we have to have it. And so even the way that God's designed us when we overindulge and lose that control can be turned against us into an unhealthy way. We need to maintain that control. Proverbs often uses alcohol consumption as an example. We can see this in chapter 20, verse 1, where it reads, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Well, Proverbs isn't saying drinking is wrong. The wine isn't the problem. What's the problem? The problem is those who are led astray who are led astray by strong drink and wine. Those who have given in to this appetite so it controls them instead of them controlling it. You see, God wants to be the primary influence in your life. And anything else that controls you has taken his rightful spot. Which is why Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5.18, still thinking through this lens of alcohol, do not get drunk with wine. Why? For this is debauchery. What else should we do? But instead, be filled with the Spirit. So this is so much more than just avoiding destructive behavior, though that's an important takeaway for us all. Self-control is also the boundaries that we need so that God becomes the person that we turn to when we need to feel better, when we need comfort, when we need hope. What is controlling you? What is influencing you? Are your habits in control or are they out of control? There's an acronym that I think can be a helpful test for us all. This is something that came up during the Conquer series. And the question is simple. Do you want to know what might be controlling you? Do you want to know what appetite might be getting too big in your life? So where do you turn when you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? The acronym is HALT. 
Where do you go when you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Do you need to go to the fridge and need some good food? Sexual temptation ramp up during that time? Do you, do you need to go shop, spend money, something to take your mind off whatever it is? Where do you go when that describes your emotional state? You see, church, when we lose control of our appetites and pleasure controls us, we lose out, most importantly, on God filling a role in our lives that he desires to meet. So if you are hungry, go to God and be satisfied. If you are angry, go to God and receive peace that passes all understanding. If you are lonely, go to God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ that even death can't take away. And if you are tired, go to God for the energy and the strength like the wings of an eagle. God wants to be this person. He wants to supply these promises for you. And when our appetites run rampant, then we lose out on that chance. Now, you might be sitting here, and I know some of you are, and you may be struggling with an appetite or a pursuit of pleasure or a habit that's running out of control, maybe even to the point of addiction. And please, please don't take this sermon, don't take this talk as a, any form of judgment. It's not the case. You are not a failure. You are not any less of a Christian. We are all sinners saved by grace. And you are not hopeless. You have an incredible amount of hope. And I truly believe that the right combination of counseling, of accountability, and prayer can start this long journey and this process of freeing you from a form of addiction and giving you this God-centered self-control that the Bible talks about. You are not alone don't do it alone. We can help. Now, just as we ought to exercise control of our appetites, the same is true of our emotions. We need to have control of our emotions. And in the same vein, just as pleasure was established as a good thing designed by God, so are our emotions. So self-control is not self-denial of the things that bring us pleasure and joy, and self-control is not denial of our emotions. So don't ignore them. Men, did you hear me? <laughs> Don't ignore your emotions. Don't tamp them down. Don't pretend that they are unimportant. Don't let them fester. That is not the case. That is not a version of self-control. It's just another version of self-denial. The issue remains one of control. You need to feel your emotions, but don't let them rule you. So we're doing some, some parenting at our house with our three boys and emotions is a big thing that we're talking about, and especially with our youngest. He can be very emotional, um, always. And it's important to me. I don't want him to feel like these emotions are bad. I don't want him to feel guilty about this. And so the line that I try to put in there as often as I can is this. You control your emotions. They don't control you. So yes, you feel this way, and no one else should tell you otherwise. But how do you, how do you express this feeling? How, how does that impact your behavior and your response and how it, it relates to other people? How, how does this impact your ability to be respectful? That, that is under your control. You can feel this way, but you are not controlled by that feeling. And so let us not fall into the trap of thinking that this line is just for children. I am preaching to myself. Every time I say you control your emotions, they don't control you. Self-control of emotions is primarily taught in Proverbs through the lens of control of anger. This is what it says in Proverbs 12, 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent 
or the wise ignores an insult. So how do you respond when you are angry and someone wrongs you or offends you and the fool is angry right away? There's no filter. There's no second guessing of, of how this should be expressed. You just, you know where I stand. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm taking it out on you. But the wise ignores an insult. And that word ignore gives only one small sense of the word, which can mean to cover or to conceal or to forgive. So when somebody wrongs you and makes you angry, even when it is truly their fault, are we wise enough to be in control of our emotions to cover up or conceal or even forgive that offense and that insult? Or do we fly off the handle? Because the instruction is clear. Don't lash out. Don't get angry in response. And don't be so easily offended. Which I think if we lived that way would already make us stand out from the rest of the world. We are so easily offended. Church, being in control of your emotions, especially anger, has a tremendous positive effect on those around you. What I love as I study this topic and unpacking it more and more is we call it self-control, but it's just so much broader than that. And so when we can live out this truth that, that we control our emotions, they don't control us, when God is giving us the ability to do that, it can just restore relationships and safeguard them. Look at what it says in Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. I know we've all been on our share of arguments and disagreements, and you know that if somebody's anger is stoked, it's like this burning fire. And then if you decide to get angry in response, and you just throw another log on the fire, and they throw another one, and it's like this arms race, and before you know it, that fire is raging out of control, and that relationship is truly at risk of harm maybe even to the point of brokenness. So if we repay anger for anger, if we just let that emotion run through us without check, then it can hurt our relationships. But Proverbs also gives that other hopeful side of the coin that as we control our emotions, it can actually cool things down. It is so, so difficult to stay angry at someone who refuses to return the favor. Have you ever tried that? It is almost impossible. It takes all the wind out of your sails. There was a time when I was in um, high school band, and we had a really important practice in the morning, and, um, and we were supposed to not miss that practice come hell or high water. Those were the, those, you have to be there. So I, I, uh, I came into school that day at the normal time, and I heard my band practicing, and I was like, oh no, what have I done? And so as I walk into the band hall, my band director sees me, and he says, get into my office. I'm like, okay, here we go. And he just starts laying into me. But I just took it. I'm like, I was at fault. I know what was going on. I was just like, yep, it was my bad. And then he starts laughing halfway through. And then he, he uh, threw a rubber chicken at me. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> he says, Andrew, you're impossible to stay mad at. I'm like, great. <laughs> then don't. It's like, get out there. See, I, there was, yeah, I also had, uh, they said that you wouldn't be able to play if you missed the rehearsal, but I was a percussionist, so I was the only one playing that entire instrument, so I had to play, so I had a, I had a bit of a trump card. But I learned even as a young person that if you are willing to be calm in spirit, then even someone who is angry won't be able to stay angry that long. And I wish I would have been perfect at, at living that way from, from that time forward, but 
that's not true. Whenever I talk about this idea of control of anger, I just need to confess to you, especially as, as, a, as a teen, as a student, as a younger adult, I was a very, very angry person to the point where I would truly lose control and, 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 and see red. And it was a very scary place to be because after some of these tantrums that would happen, I would look back and realize that I just was not steering my ship for the last five minutes. And I could have said or done something, who knows what, that I could have regretted for a very long time. It was a a very disconcerting place to be. It didn't happen all the time. There would be these triggers. One trigger for me was Greek. Can I get an amen, Earl? Can I get an amen? Greek was terrible. And so I threw, I would throw my textbook against the wall. I was so mad. I was a very angry person. Part of my story of God's work in my life is that I don't live that way anymore. I still get mad. You can ask my wife and ask my kids. Yeah, I still experience anger, but I don't lose control. God has taken that from me, and it wasn't my own doing. It wasn't like I just woke up one day and decided to grow up and to do better. It wasn't even this light bulb moment or spiritual aha moment where God did this deliverance in me. It was just an example of God's slow and steady, progressive work in my life because it is His fruit of the Spirit. He is the source of wise living. I've been doing really good in this area of anger right up until I bought a puppy in the fall. And then now I'm like, oh my goodness. I look over at Karen and say, how much money did we buy just so I could feel what true anger feels like again? I I do love our dog, but it's amazing how those triggers are still there. The question for all of us is this. Are you in control of your emotions or do they control you? And Proverbs talks a lot about anger and it's a very good one to focus on. But the, the principle is much broader. It's not just anger. It could be worry, anxiety, jealousy, envy, melancholy, depression. When those emotions rule us, we lose control. And if you are feeling overwhelmed by your emotions and your mental health, and you feel like you're drowning, and you just don't have this ability to regain control, again, this is not a sermon of judgment. This is a message of hope. And it is the same combination of counsel and accountability and prayer, and in the case of mental illness, oftentimes medication that can help you get on this track to wellness, that can eventually lead you to this God-given deliverance in the life of self-control. It's God's work, and our job is to put it in action. So let's talk briefly about control of our influences. You may have noticed that at the end of each of one of these little lessons, we've, we've talked about the importance of how self-control includes other people. And this church, this is the main point. Self-control is probably not even the right word for it. Self-control is this outcome, but the process needs to. It requires God's transforming work and, and the influence of other believers in your life. If we try to do this on our own, if we just try to do this by self, then this is not something that's going to be achievable day in and day out. We need God's help. We need the help of other believers. We read this warning at the beginning of Proverbs 18. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So Proverbs says, yes, self-control is important. Be in control of the appetites and habits and pleasures you seek. Be in control of your emotions. And by the way, don't, do not do this on your own. 
Because if you try, if you isolate yourself, the opposite will be true. I believe isolation is destructive in two ways. First, as Proverbs 18 just teaches us, it allows us to become turned inward and become increasingly self-centered, seeking after our own desire. When we are isolated, there is no accountability. There is no one else giving us an outside perspective. There is no self-control. And this isolation can happen when we leave ourselves without having anybody else to speak into our life. But this isolation can also happen when we surround ourselves with people that only tell us what we want to hear. And so you could be surrounded by friends and still be living in the danger of this proverb. Because if we only have friends that say yes and never say no, if we only have friends that think the same way, the way that we do, that don't have, offer any perspectives, that are, that are afraid to speak real hard truth into our lives, then we might be surrounded by people and for all intents and purposes still be isolated. Who is willing to say to you, no? Who loves you enough to let you hear the hard, difficult truth? Surround yourself with those people and then you are on the path to true biblical self control. But I think there's another danger of isolation. It leaves us open to negative outside influences. Hopefully this isn't groundbreaking, but the truth is our world is full full of influences. You go on social media and they're called influencers. That should be our first hint. Even beyond that, just your activity on social media goes into this algorithm and then your search history and your activity on other apps and even what you talk about when your phone is off gets plugged into this algorithm that is designed to influence you. Did you know that? That's how it works. It's really quite creepy. Just start talking about one topic and see how fast it takes to show up as ads on Facebook or on Instagram. We are always being influenced. And so if we isolate ourselves thinking that we are somehow not being influenced, then we are tricking ourselves. We are all under the influence of something or someone. And if you don't choose and have control over those influences, then you are at their mercy. Isolation cannot and will not work. We are being influenced. Let us be really picky and choosy about who we allow to have that voice and that role in our life. Now, Stony Brook, as we wrap this up, I want to make sure that we do our part to help you live a wise life in this God-given self-control. So again, I have talked a lot about the importance of counseling. And if you are someone who would, would love to, to take some counseling, to be able to, to have some of this control, to rest it back from these appetites and emotions and influences, then then we'd love to be able to help you with that. And if you don't know where to go, you can talk to someone on our spiritual life and care team or myself, and we can point you towards the counselor that we trust. And if you don't have the money to go to counseling, we have a budget for that too. We, we truly want to practically help you on this journey. We want you, if you want to seek counseling, we will help you do that, I promise. And if you're saying, you know what, I'm not sure I'm ready for counseling, but I don't know who I can really trust or talk to at this point, come talk to me. This is why I'm here. If you don't want a professional, settle for an amateur. I will, I'll be willing to sit down and to listen to you and to talk with you. My door is always open. You can text me. You can call me. I would love to be a part of this for you if that would be helpful. We've also talked about the importance of accountability. 
And here at Stony Brook, we have our small groups, both our fellowship groups and discipleship groups, which provide a safe space to share your struggles confidentially within a small group. Our fellowship groups are groups of 6 to 12 people, with men and women, and it's an opportunity where they study and to meet together and study the Word of God and pray for each other on a regular basis. I've seen the importance of that group in my own life. I love the fact that we can pray for each other. But perhaps in the, in the, in the focus of self-control in particular, it's our discipleship groups, which are even smaller groups of only three to four men or women only, in which you can truly get down to the struggle of control of appetites and emotions and have true accountability of others who are willing to say, hey, how did you do this last week or this last month? And to spur you on. And lastly, we, we don't ever want to cut God out of this process since it is him who is affecting the change. We want to have prayer be a part of it. But don't even do this alone. Don't pray alone. Share what is happening with others. And again, we share lots here on Sunday morning, but there's so many of things that we've talked about today that you might not be comfortable to share with everyone. So you can do a few things. You can, you can look in your bulletin. There's a, a blue card in there, and you can write a confidential prayer request on it put it in the offering box in the foyer, and then our spiritual life and care team will meet and we'll pray for it and we will keep your confidence. And beyond that, share with your small group, share with your discipleship group, share with other believers so that they can pray for you. Do not do self-control alone. So we've come a long way and we've recognized that really self-control isn't the right way to talk about it. It is God-given control that invites other people to be part of of the process. So don't try harder. Look for good counsel, accountability, and prayer. And I would summarize it this way with our word to the wise. Self-control is achieved by the transforming power of God in community with his people. Keep this in mind, and there's hope and there's victory for all of us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just understand in my own life that there are so many ways in which self-control just does not come naturally. That's hard. It's hard work. And I know that, that in our lives, too, there's going to be patterns and seasons in which the self-control wasn't present at all, where we felt at the mercy of our appetites and emotions. And God, I pray that we would start at this place of forgiveness, where we just know that in Jesus we are forgiven that we have grace and mercy. We don't have to live in the guilt and the shame and the slavery of our emotions and appetites forever, that you have freed us from that. God, I also pray that from this place of forgiveness that you would, you would be at work through your spirit, that our life would show fruit and evidence of you in our lives. And that when we are looking to achieve this control and this victory through your work, that we would be willing to, to seek good counsel from those that can help us, to, to be accountable with others who are on the same path and to pray to you each and every day. God, I thank you for what you are doing in each of our lives. And may we share our stories of victory. Amen. Amen.